Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of the Rumble Rumble Podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. Listen, y'all, today, by the time y'all listen, this will be Monday, the 5th of February, 2024. We are already a new month, and to bring in the new month, officially, in my mind, this is the beginning of the college basketball season, although for some, like my guest here, it's been going on for quite a while. But this is when I ramp up just before March Madness. But, you know, I still don't know a lot about college basketball in a lot of ways. Uh, my fantasy basketball team could tell you that. Um, but in this case, I brought in an expert, the one who does know. You've heard him before. You know him. You love him. You can find him on Twitter at the underscore NBA G-E-L-L. Not only does he know the NBA, not only is he the NBA front office specialist, but somehow he finds time to also stay on top of college, too. How he does it, I have no idea, but his name is Stephen Bagel. Stephen, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Corbin. Obviously, the trade deadline is, what, four, five days away now? So Yes, it is. Obviously, I know we're here to talk college basketball, but, you know, as a front office guy, it's a great time of year in general for hoops. Oh, absolutely. And I know we're going to be collabing, whether it's on my pod or your pod, talking the trade deadline here in a few days anyway. So I was like, let's switch it up. Let's take a break. Um, let's talk about college because you're right. It's a good time between basketball and college full swing trade deadline coming up here soon. It, it's going to be a lot going on. So um, what we're going to do here, it, it's really a simple little exercise to kind of better understand the draft. I was going to originally do another mock draft with Steven here, and that might come at some point in the future um, again, as we get closer, but I want to get a better idea of certain players. And the way I want to do this rather than just throw out, okay, tell me more about player X. I figured we play this game called Match. And so what I would do is throw out some random archetypes. Um, and I'm actually going to drop this. I, I haven't even showed Steven these on purpose. And now I'm thinking about it. I kind of feel like that was kind of dumb to do. So I'm going to put them in the chat for Steven here. But I'm going to throw out some random archetypes that I've generated here. Um, and then I'm going to pull one out at random and ask Steven to, to describe a player or players that fit that archetype. And so that'll be – it's kind of all blurred together there because the formatting's bad. So sorry about that. But um, that's what we're going to do here. And it should be kind of fun to kind of get a better understanding of certain players and who they fit. And that looks horrible there on the um, on the screen there, as you can see. But listen, this is an audio podcast, so you don't have to worry about that. But for the first thing we're going to do, I want to ask Stephen about this player, or this archetype, rather. And it's the offensive hub big men. Uh, are there any players? Actually, let me let me take a step back here. Before we even do that, as you've seen stock of the college season so far, do you agree, Stephen, with the assessment that the 2024 class is relatively weak in terms of top-end talent from what you've observed so far at this point in the college season? I will say that. I'll, I'll also note, though, with that, the caveat that it was 2013 and I believe 2020 that both had similar um, similar ideas of that concept of there not being super top-end talents in terms of the draft. And then, obviously, 2013 produced Giannis Antetokounmpo, CJ McCollum, Victor Oladipo before injuries got to him. 2020, obviously, those Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Halliburton, LaMelo Ball. So just because right now we're saying, okay, there's not really a Victor Wembayama, there's not a Zion Williamson, there's not even a Cade Cunningham, doesn't mean that you know these picks in this draft aren't going to be valuable because you're always going to find – there's always going to be a diamond in the rough, essentially, somewhere in this draft. You muted. 
always do the, I always do this as a guest, and here I've done it on my own show. So thank you, Stephen. I was saying that, um, yeah, there always seems to be that player, right? Whether or not they're picked high in the lottery, they always seem to kind of find themselves, you know, make themselves into stars later. Like you said, Giannis 15th or CJ McCollum's carved out a nice role for himself. Other players like that for sure. I mean, even guys, um, even later than that, who were really good high end role players for a number of years. So I'm definitely glad to hear that for sure because all we've heard so far is hey, this draft. Not great. But with that being said, let's start with this exercise. It's going to be a, a nice little tight podcast here. I'm excited to say that for once here on Roundball Ramble. But I want to throw out this first archetype for you, Stephen, and see if you know anyone who matches this or is as close enough to this archetype as you can describe. And that's your offensive hub big man. That's your passing big, your elite post player, the guy who can build an offensive game plan around. Of course, you think a Joel Embiid. You think a Nikola Jokic, but I'm even down to consider a guy like an Alperin Shangun, you know, like a guy who you can run your offense through through stretches. And it may not be a full game, may not be an all-NBA all talent like that, but he's a guy that you can say, hey, we can initiate offense and play through you out of the post. Are there anyone you see in this college draft, um, or really in this draft in general, we don't have to limit it to this college, that you look at and go, hey, that could be that, that play. So the best guy I have to really, you know, define the archetype you're looking for, that would be Alex Saul from, he's playing in the NBL right now, the Australian League, but he is from Mm -hmm. France. He played at overtime elite last year, so he got the development there. And yeah, I mean, I like the draft philosophy of unless they're like a generational type big man, you're better off taking a guard or a wing. But given the lack of, you know, clear high-end talents in this draft, Saul is actually projected just about on most boards number one at this point. Um, He's not number one on my board, but in terms of his footwork is phenomenal, which I see we see a guy like Joel Embiid, how important footwork is for big men. Um, Mm -hmm. He's a decent passer. He could still improve. His hands aren't the best. I mean, he's... He's not the typical number one, you know, dynamite big man prospect that we've seen. He's not even like an Evan Mobley type as a prospect. But in terms of what you're asking for, like he is the best that you could, you know, build an offense around essentially. He can't stretch the floor. His percentage isn't that great, but the shot looks pretty fluid. He's 7-1. He has a 7-5 wingspan. And not only the footwork is there, but he's also very mobile for a big man. So he runs the floor really well. I like that. Okay, so he's somebody, a fluid athlete, good in transition, defensive presence. Do you consider him as a guy who you could play, like, through the post? Or is he more like a Nick Claxton type, a Daniel Gaffer type? Like, what type of big man in that offensive hub do you consider him being? So, ironically enough, I have heard some Nick Claxton comparisons for him. So, it's funny you mention him. Um, yeah. I imagine Nick Claxton a little bit with a budding three-point shot. So, maybe think – I mean, he's very Jaron Jackson-like in terms of he's actually a defensive first prospect. But, again, mm-hmm. given the lack of top-end talent in this draft, he's, like, for a big man, the best you'll be able to get in terms of running an offense out of him. Okay, got you. So, well, yeah, envision what, like a Jaron Jackson type guy. A, st- okay. a little bit bigger, but. I like that. That's interesting. Okay, so Jaron Jackson type. Do you like, speaking of Jaron Jackson, what do you think about his outside shooting? Again, the percentages aren't quite there. I believe last time I looked it up, he was shooting like 27 or 28% from three. 
but it looks a lot more fluid than the percentage indicates. Now, don't get me wrong. He's going to have to find a way to hit it, hit that shot consistently to really live up to the potential. But again, this is a defensive, the defense looks legit and that gives him such a high floor, that aspect, that even if the shot doesn't come around, he'll still be playing 25, 30 minutes a night. But again, the shot would add a whole new element to his game. So I, I believe it could get there, but it's not there quite yet. Uh, I I see, I envision why scouts, you know, kind of obsess over the potential of the shot being knocked down consistently. I like that for sure. Well, thank you for giving a little bit of insight on 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 Zar for sure because that is a player that I've heard a little bit about that I've been interested in how he actually fits, you know, as a high end pick, but on an NBA team. Just seeing how that looks. So at least there's some more insight there. Okay, spinning the wheel again. Let's go with your traditional bruiser big. Um, that's your 10, 12 points from the post, 10 rebounds per game as God intended. Who fits that prototype for you? Let me go with a guy who I've been super high on who actually ended up going back to school to improve his stock, and he's a borderline All-American this year. That's Dayron Holmes from Dayton. Okay. So he's playing in the A-10, so he's not playing against the best competition, but he's he's 6'10", 235, and he's, you know, a low-post-type guy who I know we just talked about Saul's jumper, and I know the question was a low-post-type big man, Mm-hmm. But he's slowly starting to develop in three-point range as well. So he could kind of go with Saw in terms of your first question of an offensive hub type big man. But he's very good in the post. Unfortunately, I do not have his percentages up with me right now. Oh, but no, no. he's a guy. That. He's a guy who essentially came back to school because again, he was playing at Dayton. He was a borderline early second round, maybe late first round pick, went back to school, improved the stock. And he is having a hell of a season in college. Okay. And by that, are you saying just pure dominance in the post? Is he somebody that's just really doing a good job of, you know, mucking it up and really using his physicality there? And then uh, I guess the second that question, if he is, do you see that translating well in the NBA? Because we've seen players like that in college go to the NBA and it's like, oh, okay, you were cool back then, but you're different. Or a guy like, at best, a Montrez Harrell who did it and still before injury was somehow was somewhat able to do that against except the only the biggest, right? Yeah. So Holmes, I like on both the offensive and defensive end. I feel like a lot of the issue with Montrose Havel was yes, he was basically an offensive rim runner and was very good at it, but he didn't stick around. He's already out of the league at, well, I know he tours ACL, so maybe I'm being unfair, but essentially isn't, is now a minimum type guy because of the fact that he couldn't play defense. Um, Davon Holmes doesn't have that issue. He's very switchable as well. And as I said, the three-pointer is budding. He's now, I think, up to 43% from three last time I, I have in my scouting report from a couple weeks ago. Um, and the production's there. I mean, he, a couple weeks ago, played Duquesne and then St. Louis, obviously because they're A-10 schools. He had 33 and 12. The next game had 29 and 14. So the production's definitely there. And I know that, like, that's exactly Zach Eady, for example. He's a guy who's going to win back-to-back national players of the year, but he went back to school after winning national player of the year because he might have went undrafted and literally would have made more money in NIL this year than you would have made in guaranteed money in the NBA. 
Now, all of a sudden, Jonathan Gavoni put Zach Eady number 15 on his board, and people are considering him a first-round pick. So maybe Zach Eady's the answer to that question in terms of, you know, playing a big man out of the post. Because, I mean, Zach Eady's what? He's 7'4"? He's huge. Yeah, he's a monster. Okay, that's another guy you would consider a candidate there for that? He's 7'4", 300, Zach Eady. Jeez. So, yeah, I mean, in college, yes, he's going to win a second straight national player of the year. But, like, he's playing – he's a man amongst boys out there. Okay. So, but, yeah, no, I would say Davion Holmes, number one. But as I was talking, I said, you know what? The real answer to this question was Zach Eady. I'm just not – I'm still not as high on Eady as a prospect just because I don't know how it translates to the NBA. Yeah, and I'm with you on that, too. Like, from what I've seen, he looks really good in college. but And he has some skill for sure. But just he's playing some limited minutes. I think his minutes are, like, carefully managed. And I also wonder about – that frame you know and i mean we've seen that fail more often than not at that height right so yeah. that's definitely someone that i'm curious about again he i think he'll be initially people said he's gonna be like a boban marjanovic type situational player like use him to defend the inbounds passes because he's so big and put him in the post for a couple minutes but on defense he's gonna get cooked into foul trouble defense mm-hmm. he's starting to hold his own a little bit more so i think he is going to be more than boban but I don't think he's going to be a quality backup center. I think he'll be a low-end backup center in the NBA. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, hey, it's still a role, although that's probably different than most probably think. How off the consensus do you think that projection is? I don't know, because he's kind of all over the place. As I said, Jonathan Cavoni just put him 15 on ESPN's big board, and I know others have him, you know, still not even really draftable. So he's one guy that's sort of all over the place. Yeah, that's for sure something I understand. That's interesting. I definitely think you have a lot of these kind of volatile uh, rankings for a lot of these college prospects here. All right, let's go to our next one. Make it a little random. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel. You know, oh, we got traditional. Let's get the three and D wings. You're shooting in your defense. Any guys who fit that for you? Three and D wings. Let's go out of college basketball, let's go to France. I'm actually working on an article where I'm interviewing a whole bunch of NBA draft guys that are more well-versed than I am and basically picking their brain on why France has become such a hub for college basketball, but not for um, NBA draft prospects. I mean, we saw Wemby, Balakola Bali, Ryan Rupert, and City Suzuko all get drafted last year out of France. Um, obviously, Rudy Gobert, Nick Batum, Evan Fournier kind of laid the framework for French to become a hub of international basketball. So those two guys, both of them are going to be lottery picks. Both of them might be top 10 picks. I think that really filled the spell. The first one is Zachary Richichet from France. He's actually number four on my big board. I've seen a lot of comps like a Harrison Barnes type guy. And he really started producing well. He's playing in, I believe, Germany right now for LJ Borg. And I think he's shooting, I think, 47 to 48% from three, something ridiculous. So the shot has been super consistent. And as long as it's translating, he's 18 years old, so he's super young playing. He is playing in France, actually. France's top league. And then the other guys are also playing in France. Tijon Saloon, who, again... He's also playing in France's top division. He is, I think, going to be the youngest or second youngest guy in this year's draft. But he's another one, super long arms. 
He's six foot nine. Richardson's six ten. They both have over seven foot wingspans. And Saloon shoots thirty eight percent from deep as of right now. Oh wow. Um, he's super switchable. Can guard threes, fours, fives. Probably some twos as well. I just don't know if his lateral quickness is enough to keep up with a lot of point guards in the NBA. But I mean, he's big. He's athletic. And yeah, he can shoot. So those two guys, I think. If 3 and D wing, there can't be enough of them in today's NBA. I think those are the two that really stick out to me. I like that. And you said it. That's one of the, I mean, everybody, this trade deadline, like in general, that's an archetype that everyone is looking for, right? Mm -hmm. Like consistently. So I'm glad we got that for sure. All right. How about this? And this is an interesting one. I want to get your take on it. 2 and D. You play good defense. You can hit a good mid-range shot. You don't quite stretch out to three. Or if you do stretch out to three, it bumps you up a level as a prospect. Are there any players that you look at that you're like, hey, they play good defense and they have some offensive game, but that three-point shot is like a swing skill? So now that you're making up archetypes that I wasn't prepared for. Huh? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? That's my own. That's a bonus one. That is my own. I stumped you on that one. I, I, I threw okay. you on the bus a little no, bit. No, I, 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 I have one or two I know you I have somebody for everybody. <laughs> so... I suppose my first guy I'm going to go with is Stefan Castle, who's a freshman from UConn. They, I, I, I love Castle. Um, I actually had him top five on my big board, but my, my biggest issue with him, as of, he was hurt for a little bit, so he missed some time. I was looking at his um, film on Synergy the other day, and I was looking at his numbers, and he said he shot 19% on jumpers for like the 13 games that he played, like something oh, awful. Wait. And I was watching it, I'm like, yeah, maybe there's a little hitch to his jumper, but like it's not that bad. That he should be shooting 90% on all jumpers. That doesn't make sense. Since then, I think he hit he went two for four from three and four six from three the last two games. So the stop the shot is starting to come around. But he's a player who's not only um he could play on or off the ball and he could defend multiple positions, but if that jumper starts falling, mm-hmm. I think he's a top five talent in this draft. So oh, wow. he's definitely a two and D. I just, given the numbers I saw, again, it's only a small sample size, 13 games of, if that, maybe 12 of his games at UConn. And a lot of the games he wasn't even playing many minutes because he's a freshman. But if he's able to, you know, hit that three ball consistently, again, I, I think he's top five talent in this class. The other guy I was going to say is Ron Holland from G League Ignite. He mm. initially committed to Texas. He was a he was the number one recruit in this uh, high school class, I believe. And he decided to witch off from Texas and go to G League Ignite. G League Ignite has had a really rough year, but Holland has really started putting together the last couple of weeks. He's crazy athletic, very quick first step. And yeah, that, that athleticism he uses well on the defensive ends in terms of his lateral quickness and everything else. And again, he's another one that has a lot of questions from his jumper. He's shooting somewhere in the low 20s from three. I, I know a couple weeks ago he was shooting like 25 or something percent on jump shots. Mm-hmm. So he kind of has a Stefan Castle syndrome that, you know, he's around 20, 22% on his jumper. But if he can figure it out, then, you know, there's some people from... Not that I've heard, but there's some people out there that do have Ron Holland number one on their boards. Wow. 
I mean, that's the one guy I got to say I've heard a lot about. Just because of his athleticism, his end-to-end speed, his defense, his ability to play in transition. I think he's a good fit for G League Ignite, but also a good fit in the NBA. But I don't really see him as, like, a guy, like a star guy. I feel like he could be, like, a really good at best, like, number two player. Do you see him with any attributes that can make him be a number one? Or do you kind of agree with my assessment? I mean, again, he's super athletic, but without a jumper, I mean – the hope is like, I suppose, when you're thinking crazy athletes, look what happened with Aaron Gordon when he went number four overall. He was never able to be like a number one on somebody's team. He he ended up developing into a really good complimentary player on a championship team. But True. if Aaron Gordon stayed in Orlando, he was never going to be the number one or number two option there. So Holland, maybe he could offensively be someone like Zach Levine if the jumper starts falling. But even when Zach Levine became a primary option, that was after he had already torn his ACL and lost a lot of that athleticism. So I don't know. It's it's tough to say. Uh, I would say right now I envision him maybe as like a more athletic, maybe Brandon Ingram type guy. Interesting. Without the jumper? Well, Brandon Ingram came in. The jump actually wasn't that good. In yeah, the that's, that's what I'm saying. If I'm taking him with a high pick, I'm envisioning – I'm buying into the jumper, and at least if you can knock down mid-rangers the way Brandon Ingram can, then maybe that's what you're looking at. I like that. I like that. Okay, I'm going to do about three more with you here before we call it a wrap on this one because I got to save some market chats for the next time we come around and do something fun like this. So let's get let's get your, your true combo guards. Your true guys, they don't quite play the point, don't quite play the shooting guard, but they do a little bit of both, and they can you can look at them like, well, like I said, a combo guard. So this is the perfect one for Stefan Castle. If I knew you were going to say combo guard next, I would have saved the two indie for Stefan Castle. I literally have a wheel spinning. I didn't mean to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fine. So that's the first guy I would say. We already talked about him, so I'm not going to dig much into him as a prospect because mm-hmm. we already talked about that. But Absolutely. Stephon Castle's a guy who could be the lead ball handler. He could play off ball. He could, you know, go either way. Um, Rob Dillingham from Kentucky who skyrocketed upwards this year. He's a little small for an off-ball guy. He's 6'3", 175, so he's definitely going to have to bulk up 20 or 25 pounds. But he is so good as a shooter and as a playmaker that either way, if he's off-ball, if he's on-ball, he could catch and shoot. He can create his own shots. He's, again, a great playmaker. I I think he's a very underrated passer. So either way, I mean, I I think he – I think he's probably more of a lead guard than a combo guard, but he, he'll have no issue playing alongside a point guard in the NBA if that's the team that he ends up at. I like that. I did a a piece on um a little write-up on him with Switch there. We kind of did our um kind of mock lottery draft boards, and I love his ability to play with pace and the fact that he can leverage his really good shooting ability to get to the rim. Like, he is so good as a shooter. I love his shot but he is lightning fast on pick and roll. Like he almost reminds me of like a Tyrese Maxx. I don't know if that's a great analogy, but he's not as like big of a frame. He may be more of a Bones Highland type, but very good at, at in a, a full three level score in my mind. Yeah, no, I, I have him, I think six on my board right now. He really wasn't, he was a four star going to Kentucky, but he was never really considered like a one and done type guy. And mm-hmm. He's played so well. Him and Reed Shepard both off the bench for Kentucky have really um they're both considered borderline lottery picks now. That's that's just really, really cool. I love that. Um, and you know what, real quick, 
it's not part of it, but let's talk about Reed Shepard because I've heard a lot about him. How would you describe Reed Shepard? Get how how would you describe Reed Shepard's game, and where do you have him um, in 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 your in your um, mock or in your big board? Because I've heard a lot about him, and I I don't like I guess I don't really get the hype, but I'm not really sure. You know, I'm, I'm, college basketball is not fully my forte, so I'm just interested in more of him as a player. So I think it was Sam Bassini from the Athletic who tweeted this and said, "Yes, Reed Shepard, like." He's not, like, athletic. He's not, like, a super athlete. He's not really athletic at all Get compared to his counterparts. But they said he doesn't have, like, the tools with, like, a crazy wingspan. He doesn't have any of that. But at some point, just being good at basketball and being a high-level processor of the game has to matter. And he is just... He doesn't make the wrong decision. He has such a high basketball IQ that even if he lacks athleticism, he will still find a way to outsmart his opponent, be in the right spot positionally or defensively. Um, he's a good shooter, so if he knows he's getting a good shot off, he'll take it, but he's also a good playmaker. He's 6'3", 185, so he's a bit bigger than Dillingham, but again, he doesn't have any sort of athletic chops or anything, but... Um, he can play on ball or off ball, so he's another good guy for a combo guard role. And again, he's he's just such a small. He's always in the right place and always making the right play. And at some point, that has to matter for something. I have him. I think either fourteen or fifteen on my board right now. So I have him borderline lottery, either late lottery or borderline lottery. But yeah, that that's um again being good at basketball and just being a high level processor of the game has to mean something at some points. No, I agree. He's basically Austin Reeves then, huh? <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. But, yeah, no, I feel I mean, it's okay. honestly not a bad comp for him, realistically. Really? Okay. I, I like that. I just thought it was interesting, and I, I got to get some Laker propaganda here. Who would I be if I didn't? Um, But aside from that, okay, let's do two more here. All right, next spin of the wheel we have. Oh, wow. All right, point of attack defenders. Not even really interested in your offensive game for this one. Just good defensive guards you think will make an impact to the next level. Hmm. Okay. I have a few. Of course. The first one I'll say is Hunter Salas, who played the last few years at Gonzaga and he since transferred to Wake Forest. Um, he's six five. And he's another guy in that 3 and D mole. He's 6'5", but he has a 6'10 wingspan I have down here. Um, he's athletic, and he's an improved shooter. Um, that's obviously him as a prospect. I know you asked his point of attack defender, but him, he's, again, athletic, knows where to be defensively, has a long wingspan. And again... These 3 and D wings, they're going to be coveted. If the shot is consistent, it's going to drastically help his draft stock. Um, Him and the other guy I'll say is Ryan Dunn from Virginia, who he's got a lot of comps to the Pelicans' Herb Jones, except Ryan Dunn reminds me more of a Matisse Leibel because he's almost a zero on offense. Like He can't really do much of anything on an NBA court, I envision, but he is such a monster defender that you have to have him out there playing at least 20 minutes a night. Um. Don is averaging four stocks a game right now, over four stocks a game. And yeah, he's long, athletic. He's 
could guard. He's one player in this draft I truly believe could defend one through five, almost no issue. Wow. That's not something you hear often about defenders in, in, in general, much less in, 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 the, in the prospect rank. So that's, that's something special there for sure. Um, what type, I mean, I guess you said it, like if he can defend all positions, that's, that's a special talent. Offensively, you said he can shoot the three. Do you like his ability to fit in offensively? For Salas? Yes, I'm getting, I'm getting mixed up. Um, okay. I think you talked about – would... Don does not have a jumper at all. He That's why I kind of compare him to Matisse Leibold because he can't mm-hmm. do much of anything athletically. He's really going to have to develop any sort of offensive game. Um, Salas, as I said, he played at Gonzaga for a couple of years and didn't have too much of a jumper. Mm-hmm. But here, I have in a scouting report I'm looking at – his first two seasons at Gonzaga, Salas shot 26% from behind the arc. But this year, he's shooting 40% from downtown through his first 18 games. Wow. So, so yeah, it's improving. Um, it's good there, yeah. So, yeah, as long – Salas, I'm hiring as a prospect because the offensive is the, offensive ability is there as well as his ability to play defense. But Dunn is such a monster defender that I could, I could see a team like Phoenix – taking Ryan Dunn in the first round because they just need a guy who could guard the Jason Tatums to guard the LeBron Jameses, to guard every opponent's best wing or and honestly any opponent's best player on any given night. That's the type of vision I – the role I envision for Ryan Dunn at the next level. Okay, that's all. And I like the Phoenix comp too, especially given their situation and the players that they need on that roster. That makes a lot of sense. For sure. Okay. This is my last one, and I'm going to cheat here, but it is my show, my rules. I'm not really cheating. I was going to spin the wheel, but like I said, the last one I do want to answer for this. this is my favorite type of player comp. Um, volume scoring guards. Volume scoring guards. 25 points on between 15 to 30 shots. You get up there, shoot a shoot, they get baskets. That's what I want. I want to see a bucket. Who fits that for you here, Steve? Ooh. Let me get Dalton Connect from Ooh, Tennessee. Okay. He he started his career at JUCO. Then he transferred to Northern Colorado where he played last year. Then this year with his COVID eligibility, transferred to Tennessee. And it's ironic because Tennessee basketball is known for never really having an offensive hub like that. Mm-hmm. So Connect, they sorely needed a guy like him. He, I think, over his last six or seven games, averaging 31 points a game, which is ridiculous for the type of offense he's in. Um He's he's a bucket. I mean, he's I have him around the same range I have Reed Shepard around 14 or 15. And the issue is he's going to be 23 years old on draft night and he turns 24 during his rookie year. But he is so good on offense. He's shooting almost 50, 40, 85. Um, and he's playing it as I say, his last seven games averaging 30, almost 32 a game. That's against teams like Alabama, Mississippi State, Florida. Um, they just played South Carolina the other night. He's incredible. He's a great spot up shooter, great catch and sh- great catch and shooter. Um, he could score off the bounce. He scores at the rim. He he just he scores in such a variety of ways that even if a shot isn't falling, he's going to get to the rim and score that way. I mean, he's he's a full deal. He's the real deal in terms of an offensive package. Wow. 
all three levels, fills it up. Do you think he's going to be a guy that fits better on a contending team? Or do you like him kind of getting more shots up on a um, younger team? Like, I, I kind of feel like he almost, the way he's described, I feel like he's, especially with his age and all, almost like a Chris Duarte. So I would love Connect on a team probably like either Toronto or Portland, a team that doesn't necessarily have a go-to score that is early on in their rebuild, that they could just give it to him and he could get them buckets. He he, he sort of could be what Cam Thomas is to the Brooklyn Nets right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Got one job, and that's, that's scoring. One job, and that's getting buckets. I like that. Okay. Wow. Well, I got to say, Stephen, this was – I put you under the fire here. Uh, again, I got to give my man Stephen credit. But uh, listen, I know he knows ball, so I did this on purpose. But I – like all this off the top of the dome, maybe some light notes, but he did not know which categories I was going to be throwing out, and I have plenty more. Um, but I'm going to save it for a future installment. So, Stephen, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on here and talk some NBA draft with me. Please tell the folks again, as always, where they can find you and your work, especially as we get down to the trade deadline season here this week. So, first of all, Corbin, I didn't even get to talk about my two favorite prospects in this class. Guys, I've won oh. two of my big Um Okay. Uh, if you want to indulge on me on that. So, no. I was just going to say Cody Williams from Colorado. He's number one on my board right now. He is the brother of Jalen Williams on OKC. Uh, I envision him. I would love him on a team like the Hornets, who are about to lose probably Gordon Hayward and Miles Bridges, either at the trade deadline or in free agency, because he's a big forward who could handle the ball as like a point forward type guy, get to the bucket. And Nikola Topic reminds me of a massive Jalen Brunson in terms of he's six foot seven, but he's so shifty and his game relies on that shiftiness rather than speed and athleticism that, you know, that that's a budding archetype in the NBA that people that executives are starting to love. So I just wanted to mention those two because, again, they're number two on my board. So I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention them. But you could find me on Twitter at the underscore NBA goal. That's N-B-A-G-E-L-L. For my college basketball content, you can listen to the One and Done College Basketball Podcast. For my NBA content, especially with the trade deadline this week, you could listen to the Bird Rights Podcast. You could follow Bird Rights Podcast on Twitter at Bird Rights Pod. You can look find my work at The Lead. I just did an NBA draft philosophy article about drafting seniors and how seniors that either go in the second round or go undrafted are more likely to, you know, be successful sleeper picks in the NBA draft to be contributors right away. And my next article, as I said, I'm interviewing a bunch of the best of the best college basketball or NBA draft analyst, essentially, to discuss how exactly overseas players are adapting to the NBA quicker than pros in the U.S. You know, guys coming from G League Ignite, guys coming from Overtime Elite, and why the American guys that take the pro route have a bigger learning curve than the guys playing in college or the guys coming from Europe or overseas, wherever they're coming from. So I should have that article out in a couple of weeks. And yeah, thank you for having me on. And I'm sure in the next four or five days or so, Corbin, you and I will be doing um, trade deadline talk. 
Oh, absolutely. You can you can book that for sure. Um, I, I'm totally down, totally game, as you know. Thank you as always for your time, and definitely appreciate you and your insight. Listen, y'all, as Steven said, it's NBA trade down the week. So I had to start with the draft because I'm trying to do like mock Mondays or basically just some time to do some general NBA draft talk on Mondays to kick off the week. Uh, every week here until we get to the draft. That is sort of the goal here, but we're talking NBA. So we're going to be talking trades. I'm going to try and do something a little bit ambitious here. I'm not going to tell y'all exactly what it is because that way if I don't finish it in time, you know, nobody called me for it. But you will get a lot of draft, uh, a lot of NBA trade content here over the next couple of days. Like you said, you will probably hear me and Steven again collaborate on something here because that's just what we do here on the NBA. So definitely make sure to stay tuned for that. But aside from that, y'all, for Steven, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all say Frosty, and we will talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all.